0: Conspiracy show with Richard
1: Serick from Zuma Radio, AM seven forty. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. We're going to delve into a fascinating area tonight: the Galactic Federation. Dr. Michael Sala is with us. He's a pioneer in the development of exopolitics, the author of what is it now, 12 books, uh, and uh, that include uh, Kennedy's Last Stand, uh, Galactic Diplomacy. He was an assistant professor and researcher in residence in the School of International Service at the American University from 1996 to 2004. He has a PhD in government from the University of Queensland, Australia. And he's also the founder of the ExoPolitics Institute, a nonprofit organization that analyzes the political implications of the extraterrestrial presence. Most recently, he's the author of Space Force, Our Star Trek Future, which is the sixth book in his Secret Space Program series. Dr. Sala, welcome to the program. How
2: are you? Um, well, I'm great. Thank you, uh... Thanks for having me on the show, Richard.
1: Let's just start with a a basic overview. When we're talking about the Galactic Federation, what are we talking about here?
2: Well, we're talking about uh, an organization, an association of extraterrestrial civilizations, which has a particular set of goals that is embraced by all members. So this is analogous to how we get organizations on Earth like the United Nations, the European Union, where you have member states accepting certain principles that they organise around. And it would be illogical to think that extraterrestrial civilizations would not have something similar happening. And, of course, that's always been an issue that's been kind of like um, speculated about. I mean, there have been people that talked about it going all the way back to uh, 1952, when uh, there there was the the first reference to a galactic federation by by one of the early contactees, which was Daniel Frye, and and he talked about a galactic federation then. But what really got people talking about such an organization being relevant to our Earth today is statements by a professor Haim Ished in December of uh, 2020, when he said that uh, there was a Galactic Federation and it had made contact with the Trump administration. And while the Trump administration was wanting to disclose the existence of this organization, uh, according to Eshed, he said that this Galactic Federation said the time wasn't yet right, that humanity still isn't ready because we don't have the a sufficient level of technological sophistication to to have this kind of like revealed to the planet so apparently this is why space force is being accelerated why they're really pushing the human presence into space because i think the the agenda is that eventually you you can't stop the revelation that there are extraterrestrial civilizations visiting our planet and that they are organized into organizations such as this Galactic Federation.
1: So Haim Eshed, he's was he with the Israeli, was it uh, the um, the military, or what was, what is, uh, he's kind of disappeared off the, the radar, but what is Haim Eshed's, what was his position in Israel?
2: Well, he was the father of Israel's spy satellite program, so he was the guy that set it all up. I think it was from uh, from 1981 to around uh, 2013 or 12, something like that. It was uh, I think it was close to 30 years that he ran that spy satellite program, which really was something that would have put him uh, within the purview of some of America's most secretive organizations, such as the National Reconnaissance Office and because the National Reconnaissance Office has spy satellites out there pointed both towards the Earth and also away from the Earth, they would know about visiting extraterrestrial life. And so Eshed ran Israel's equivalent uh, to the National Reconnaissance Office, where he actually had responsibility for sending up Israel's first spy satellites and maintaining these and to like assess the intelligence data, you know, what what are they picking up? I mean, it wasn't just a matter of earthbound spacecraft or Earth-bound um, aerospace vehicles. It was also stuff approaching the Earth that the spy satellites were, were monitoring. So, so that was his background. So he had a very significant uh, history uh, running the spy satellite program. He he attained the rank of brigadier general. In the Israeli Defense Force, so this was a guy that was really up there in terms of high-level access. So if he's saying that there's a Galactic Federation that is monitoring the Earth and interacting with um, top officials within presidential administrations, then I think that's something that kind of like shows how important it is that we start to investigate this.
1: Right, and what I said, he kind of. Disappeared off the radar. I mean, is that accurate? I mean, I haven't heard. Uh, the th- I mean, after he made that announcement, there was no sort of follow up. There was no, um, I don't know. Journalists didn't go back to him and ask for you know, clarification. He just sort of made the statement and that was it. And then, I don't know, have, have we heard from him since?
2: But Not as far as I'm aware. I mean, he gave an an interview in Israel uh, because his book had just been published in Hebrew. So as far as I know, it hasn't been translated yet into English. So he, he gave an interview, and that interview was translated into English and picked up by a number of Israeli news media, and that's where he was quoted saying that the Galactic Federation is monitoring the Earth and interacting with the Trump administration. But after that interview... He really just kind of dropped off the map. I mean, he is officially retired, so he is kind of pretty reclusive. And a lot of his scientific colleagues. Kind of said, well, you know, he must have uh, lost his he lost his marbles or something to be saying such nonsensical things. But others rallied to his defense and said, "Look, I, I know Professor Eshed and um, and spoken to him recently, and uh, he's as lucid as they come. He hasn't lost. He's uh, a uh, uh, really acute understanding of what's happening around the place." So. I think that uh, they really rallied to his defense, but he himself has just pretty much dropped off the map and hasn't done any. He hasn't done any English, interviews in English, as far as I know. It's just that early one in uh, Hebrew, and yeah, I think he, he put out the information, and now he's just sitting back and, and watching the reaction. Did he
1: um, attempt to explain how he received this information? Is he a contactee? Was he? Did the Federation con- uh, communicate with him telepathically, or was it just based on his own intelligence? Well, oh, I think you froze there, Michael. I don't know if you can still hear me.
2: They very high level, that Earth is being visited by extraterrestrial civilizations, and they are organized politically into. Groups such as this Galactic Federation, you know, that would be very highly classified information. So he couldn't just straight out come out and say, "Well, uh, the Israeli uh, spy uh, service has has analysed the data that we've collected and we've made contact," or, or we have been briefed about contact. He, he he would have to kind of like speak of it in a roundabout way, citing kind of public sources or open source literature making out that well uh, you know this is this is what's being said in the open source literature so that's just a way the intelligence community operates because you can't come out straight and say well I read this in a briefing or this is what this is what our own intelligence analysts are telling us from analyzing the the the, the data because that's classified you can't talk about that but you can say well um you know, there's there are people talking about the Galactic Federation, and and he mentioned the great granddaughter of President Eisenhower, Laura Eisenhower, and and kind of like mentioned, well, you know, there there are people like that talking about the Galactic Federation, and so that's how he kind of like was able to pre- uh, present it as though he was just looking at open source literature and saying, yeah, yeah, in my opinion, there is the Galactic Federation, but I, I think you know, given his uh, high level and status. Uh, I think he was really just alluding to what he is officially aware of, but using open source information. All right. So getting back to the uh, Galactic Federation, um, how many,
1: and these are all ET civilizations existing within the Milky Way, hence galactic. uh, How many, do we have a number? How many civilizations we're talking about? Is it 40? Is it thousands, tens
2: of thousands? Uh, what I've heard is it's in the hundreds I mean that that does vary but uh, definitely it is uh, an organization that has spacefaring extraterrestrial civilizations from all over our galaxy and you know the, the really interesting thing here in looking at all of this is is uh you know there have been claims made that this Galactic Federation, has been working with U.S. Space Command and with the U.S. Navy going back to the 1950s. And and one of the people that I interviewed and looked at very closely in terms of my Secret Space Program book series was a retired aerospace uh, illustrator, um, engineer by the name of William Tompkins. And he talked about these Nordic extraterrestrials that were helping the U.S. Navy develop a space program, uh, a secret space program in the 1950s, and his job was to help design some of these uh, kilometer-long space carriers. And that was all that was all being done in the 1950s, 60s, and these carriers were deployed in the 70s. Well, apparently he was saying that the, the, there were these groups of human-looking extraterrestrials. Uh, which today we can say pretty clearly that uh, this was the Galactic Federation that was helping uh, the uh, U.S Navy develop this so you know there's been a long history of development of the U.S Navy secret space program by the Galactic Federation and and so then this is where you, you come into information that Gene Roddenberry was actually briefed about this uh, Navy secret space program, and about the existence of the Galactic Federation. And here's the here's the thing that's really mind blowing, is because of the advanced technology, space time technology that is used by extraterrestrials, that they were able to go back and either pick up Gene Roddenberry or someone else uh, that worked with him in the development of the Star Trek franchise. Uh, which I believe was Leslie Stevens IV, the, the the son of a vice admiral, and take them into the 2030s or 40s when the Earth was a member of the Galactic Federation, and he experienced that, and then went back and was told, "Okay, go for it. You know, present this in um, in, in as a television series. This is the way to prepare people." for our future. So this is the kind of information that I I think is very, very credible, that in fact the Galactic Federation has been helping us going back to the 1950s, and that our future is one where we as a planetary civilization are members of the Galactic Federation. So our future basically is Star Trek. That's exactly right. That Star Trek wasn't science fiction; it was actually a soft disclosure initiative backed by the U.S. Navy. And in my one of my books, actually, my the book, the last book that you mentioned, "Space Force: Our Star Trek Future," I actually have a chapter where I talk about uh, Gene Roddenberry uh, and his association with Leslie Stevens, and that that this was this was. Uh, where he learned about the Navy's secret space program, and and that the Navy was being helped by this Galactic Federation, and that this was this was something that was a soft disclosure initiative, because you just couldn't come out and say, well, there's a Galactic Federation out there using all of these kind of space time technologies at that time, because technologically, apparently, we weren't ready. Um, you know, if we weren't ready in December of uh, 2020, you know, in the 1950s and 60s, we weren't ready by a long shot. But we're getting closer and closer. And I think this is why Space Force and the creation of Space Command and the ratification of of the Artemis Accords. How now, I think they've had uh, 21 nations sign on to the Artemis Accords. Th- that this is all the kind of foundation for Earth forming a kind of like united planetary uh, system of governments that would then make the Earth eligible for membership within the Galactic Federation. What are the Artemis Accords? Well, the Artemis Accords are a set of bilateral agreements between the United States and, at the moment, twenty other countries, which includes uh, you know, some, of the major, some of the major space-faring nations such as France, Britain, Germany, Japan, Australia, Canada, uh, other nations such as Israel, uh, Brazil have recently signed on. South Korea. So, twenty-one nations in all are part of the Artemis Accords, and and the Artemis Accords are designed to foster collaboration between all of the, all of the signatory nations in terms of harvesting the resources of space and also the artemis accords has within it uh, provisions for the protection of any activities by member states in space and they call they declare that they call these regions where member states have ongoing projects in space safety zones and that any member state that's involved in setting up or working within one of these safety zones can be protected by all necessary measures uh, from any kind of adverse uh, influences and so that's really setting up the space command where it's not just the united states but a collaboration of the major spacefaring nations at the moment there's there's, a, there's something called the Combined Space Commands Initiative, which uh, integrates the uh, Five Eyes Nations Space Commands or, or their military space uh, units, uh, the United States, Canada, Australia, Britain and New Zealand, uh, but they've been joined also by France and Germany. So that is kind of the, the seed for what will be a future staff league. And so it's really being created right now. So the Artemis Accords is like a civilian program uh, set up so that all the signatory states can go out into space, uh, either through government programs or through corporate programs where they collaborate, set up safety zones and kind of harvest the resources of space. But they're also going to be protected by this combined space commands initiative where the major nations... Will integrate their militaries into a unified space command, and so this is this is how they are preparing the the foundation or laying the groundwork for in the future revealing the existence of uh, what is called by many who have been looking at the secret space programs uh, Solar Warden, which is a a. Secret space program that was set up and run by uh, the U.S. Navy, but has since uh, integrated with a number of other nations, as, such as the Echelon countries and and France. So, the the,
1: um, the presence of the Galactic Federation currently on the Earth, around the Earth, are they basically uh, surrounding us, protecting us? Um, from intrusion, from from let's say more hostile civilizations.
2: Yeah, that's currently the situation. It wasn't always like this. Um, you know, there have been more hostile civilizations that essentially were had established a very powerful presence on the Earth. But the Galactic Federation has helped bring about a change in the status quo, where those hostile extraterrestrials have pretty much left our solar system, to give us room to decide where we are going to go as a planetary civilization. And the Galactic Federation has a number, and you know here I'm estimating, but I think they probably have several thousand uh, infiltrators or people that have integrated at all levels of society in the, the major nations on the Earth to, to really help, Bring about an awareness and and nurture us towards this future where we are going to be part of the galactic federation. So they they're really trying to help help allay people's fears about extraterrestrial life. Yeah, and this goes all the way back to the nineteen fifties where you had the famous contactees, uh, Georgia Damski, Howard Menger. Uh, or um, Orfeo Angelucci and, and many others talking about these human-looking extraterrestrials that were here to help us. So you know this has been going on for for many generations, and I think we've now reached that point, Richard, where you know we are becoming a a planet that has a very strong foothold in space that. Previously, up until 2019, it was all done clandestinely. It was all done through these secret space programs. But now through uh, the creation of Space Force, the, these combined space command initiatives, uh, through the Artemis Accords, we are projecting our presence into deep space. And this is going to be something that is is going to be at a global level, not just secret Government programs or military programs.
1: All right. We will take a quick time out. Uh, Dr. Michael Salas stays with us. Exopolitics.org. Exopolitics.org. And uh, we're talking about the Galactic Federation. We'll come back and uh, delve further. Stay with us.
0: The truth is not out there, it's right here.
1: The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. From Zoomer Radio, and we are back with Dr. Michael Sala, Exopolitics.org. I mentioned six uh, books in the uh, the uh, the Secret Space series. There are seven. uh, The brand new one out this May, number seven, is Galactic Federations Council and Secret Space Programs. Uh, Getting back to the, um, I guess the. The purpose of the of the Galactic Federation? Uh, do they always have? I mean, how are they shielding the Earth from, uh, let's say, hostile intruders? Do they have a large fleet out there that are, that are that 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 is cloaked? That is basically sort of cocooning our planet.
2: Well, the way I understand it is that there have been. Uh, a number of extraterrestrial civilizations and organizations that have been competing for influence over the earth for for many generations. But what's recently changed is that there has been an incursion of a very powerful group of extraterrestrials that are associated with the founding of life, human life on earth. Uh, that they, are, they go by various names. Some they're called the Cedars. They're called the Galactic. Uh, so they're called the Intergalactic Confederation. Some call them the Guardians. Uh, these are, this is a group of civilization which is very similar to what Zechariah Sitchin described, um, in terms of the Anunnaki that, that played a role in the seeding of extraterrestrials, uh, going back a, as far as 500,000 years. And there are other sources as well that that talk about these Cedar civilizations going back. And they're different from the Galactic Federation insofar as the Galactic Federation is pretty much a a kind of military-style organization that tries to counteract the influence of negative races using their military Forced. This this other group, the intergalactic confederation, the, the way I understand it, they're more or less kind of like the the ones that make the rules. They're the ones that kind of set out the the rules for how this conflict between organizations such as the galactic federation and negative extraterrestrial groups are conducted. And so it seems that what we are witnessing right now is that this is a unique time when, with the return. Of of this, uh, and there have been a number of sources that that talk about the return of these fleets of uh, extraterrestrial civilizations that are new to our solar system that haven't been around for a very long time, and, and one of my one of my sources is actually uh, currently serving in the U.S. Army. Uh, I just use the acronym JP, and he he was sent on a mission with a under US Space Command. So this was a, a secret mission that they was he was sent on with a number of others to one of Jupiter's moons, Ganymede, where Space Command, as well as um, uh, the uh, mili- space militaries of other countries, w- travelled to meet. This these fleets of incoming extraterrestrials that were part of this of these cedar races. So the meetings occurred, and they're here to kind of watch the end result of this grand experiment. Apparently, like we are part of a grand experiment, and and the outcome is something of great interest to the galactics. And either we would uh, graduate. Into something much greater, to become part of the Galactic Federation and to become like a space bearing civilization outside of our solar system, or we we would implode in a similar way to Atlantis did um, 13,000, sorry, 11,000 years ago or 12,000 years ago. So they're here to watch that. And part of the process of them coming here to watch that is that that means that. Uh, nothing can be done in our solar system, which is detrimental to human free will. It all all has to happen with our own free will. So, the, so the negative races have departed; they've left our solar system because you know they—that's what they do. They kind of come in, violate human will in in very uh, surreptitious ways, and and then they kind of sit back and watch how much damage uh, they've they've done. So right now we have kind of like a breathing space where we either implode as a planetary civilization. I mean, very easy to see that right now in Ukraine. I mean, if NATO were to kind of go into Ukraine or Ukraine or or, or Russia was to attack a, a NATO nation, I mean, you, you could have like a nuclear war that could very quickly spread. So, and the same with uh, Taiwan. So, you know, what we have is a possibility that the Earth can descend, I mean, as unbelievable as it appears, that the Earth can ascend or descend into a kind of nuclear war that would be very, very devastating for the entire planet and possibly uh, disrupt the viability of life on the planet, or we can ascend into this like higher dimensional reality where we now become members of the Galactic Federation. So are we essentially
1: until we prove our our motivations are pure? Are
2: we under quarantine? I we are under. A, well, quarantine isn't quite the right word for it um, because we've had secret space programs that have traveled throughout our solar system and have also traveled outside of our solar system and and done many things that um, you know are, are not not very uh good in terms of our reputation within the solar system. But as far as the, the large majority of our planet is concerned, uh yeah, we're kind of like earthbound. Um un- unless you were actually like a, a mercenary force recruited by one of these negative extraterrestrial groups, you really weren't allowed to go too far into space. So essentially we've we're kind of like being quarantined, but now now that that is, you know, we as a total planetary civilization haven't been allowed to go too far other than just setting up a few landers to, to the moon. But now, you know, there's been a, a profound shift because the groundwork has been laid because there is uh, time travel technology, uh, which is called looking glass technology, where they can, foresee where we are going as a planetary civilization. And so the the best projections are that, you know, we're gonna make it through this dark period. That this is a test. And I think the test is, you know, will we as a planet go down this path of vilifying and doing a cancel culture against other countries and kind of like permitting uh kind of like unrestricted warfare against a country like Russia, with the world's largest Nation by landmass with nuclear weapons. Are, are people just going to sit back and allow that to escalate, or are they going to, at some point, say no? There needs to be a diplomatic solution to this, because this there cannot be a military solution to Ukraine. Because the the, the mili- any military solution to Ukraine is going to end up with Ukraine being wiped out as a as a sovereign nation, and it either being um, controlled by by Russia. Or, or, or just obliterated because of some nuclear uh, conflagration there. So th- there needs to be a peaceful outcome. And that's our test as a, as a civilization, I believe, what we're witnessing in Ukraine. People have to stand up and say, no, this cannot be allowed to escalate. It, n- there needs to be a diplomatic solution.
1: The um, Galactic Federation, would, would they prevent a nuclear war? Um... War would they prevent World War Three? Because you know we, we we've heard since 1966 at least about UFO incursions uh, over nuclear sites in in the Soviet Union and in the United States, disabling missile silos and so forth.
2: Um, yes, that's been going on for for many decades, and there the people that have been talking about how. Um, Extraterrestrials or UFOs have been disruptive nuclear uh, facilities and missiles for for many many decades, so I, I think that what that has shown is that they will present they will that they would prevent any kind of accidental nuclear uh, strike or any kind of large scale conflagration involving the the superpowers, but I mean if nuclear weapons were to be used for a, a kind of like a, a limited military campaign, I mean, if if uh, Russia and NATO go head to head, you know, there would be tactical nuclear weapons used. And I, and I think that would, uh, you know, th- that would be something that would be kind of like in the vicinity of the atomic bombs dropped on Nagasaki in terms of uh, yield, we're talking like a uh, Fifteen or or twenty five kilotons, which would be, you know, tactical nuclear weapons. But in terms of hydrogen bombs, I mean those those that are destructive in the megaton uh, range. I don't think they would be used because they they would obliterate entire cities or nations. But certainly tactical nuclear weapons, I, I think that that's a possibility. If if
1: um, they would be permitted, in- we would be permitted to to play around, if I can use that term, with with those, but not. Something that is potentially a, a planet killer. Um, yeah. We'll take a quick time out, uh, Dr. Salah. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us.
0: The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zuber
1: Radio. Dr. Michael Salas with us, a pioneer in the development of exopolitics, and uh, the brand new book is Galactic Federations, Councils, and Secret Space Programs. Um, you actually answered my question uh, towards the tail end of that last segment because I had always wondered, uh, you know, if the, the the Federation has the ability to intervene, shut down missile silos. You know, where were they in August of 1945 when? the uh, United States dropped uh, bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, but because those would fall under the, I guess, tactical nuclear weapons, they they allowed that, not necessarily that they approved of it, obviously, but they allowed for that. Is that the
2: idea? Yes, because when you look at you know, those tactical nuclear weapons, I mean, the ones that were dropped on Japan, I mean, in terms of destructive power, they they weren't all that different from these kind of like uh, bomber fleets that were, uh, going across, uh, Germany during the latter part of the Second World War and, and destroying cities like Dresden, uh, that, you know, they were sending fleets of like a thousand bombers dropping, uh really incredible t- uh tonnage of tnt and and destroying entire areas so so those tactical nuclear weapons have a similar destructive power so so it, so they are very similar to uh conventional weapons in that regard it's just when you get to uh thermonuclear weapons that we're talking like megaton yields that that i think that's where and that that actually is is the case because uh, i recall Uh, In the early 1950s, uh, when there was this uh, contactee by the name of uh, George Van Tassel, he was getting information, messages from the Ashtar Command, and uh, he was being told that the Ashtar Command was very firmly against the development of thermonuclear weapons and that they were warning about the destructive power of these weapons so they didn't say anything about fission bombs they didn't say anything about atomic bombs which had already been dropped Uh, but they were saying that uh, the thermonuclear weapons were the ones that greatly concerned them so and and i think it was had something to do with the hydrogen atom being used for thermonuclear weapons that they were concerned about a runaway effect that like a chain reaction that could set the entire atmosphere a flame, that was that was what uh, uh Van Tessel was warned about. So so there's definitely a the Galactics or Galactic Federation makes a clear distinction between fission bombs and uh fusion bombs using the hydrogen el- el- element.
1: You mentioned the Ashtar command. So can you give us a sense of the um I guess the organizational structure of the Galactic Federation. I mean, you, you mentioned this inter this other intergalactic group, which are kind of the Cedars or the Guardians, and then you have the Galactic Federation, which is kind of I don't know, like the military wing of the United Nations, maybe. Um, but how? What is the structure like? I mean, who ultimately uh, is in charge? Is it democratic? Do, do they have like a General Assembly? How does it work?
2: well the way it works as I understand it is that they have uh commanders so they it's like a, a military organization kind of like NATO just think of NATO um and and you have a supreme uh, uh, a supreme commander of NATO and uh he he answers to or implements decisions by political representatives so in the in the case of the Galactic Federation they they look to some of these higher uh, councils that give them advice in terms of what needs to be done. So, you know, there are groups, uh, you know, I mentioned the Intergalactic Confederation. There's other organizations. The uh, Ashtar Command is also a military organization similar to the Galactic Federation of Worlds, but they answer to groups such as uh, the Andromeda Council, uh, the, the the Council of, of Nine, uh, the Council of Five. So, there are different councils out there. And these councils are not military. Uh, they operate on a system where they have uh, beings that are, are kind of more in tune with higher galactic law, cosmic consciousness, so they are very highly de- uh, evolved beings that can operate at like the fifth, sixth or seventh density. So, th- so these are kind of spiritual beings that then relay to the Galactic Federation uh, information about what needs to be done. So for example, uh, the the Andromeda Council, which is uh, a scientific organization, they informed the Galactic Federation that the Earth was being manipulated into providing mercenary forces for one of these negative extraterrestrial groups and so the galactic federation needed to intervene to prevent the earth evolving down this negative timeline where we would essentially become a planet providing millions or hundreds of millions of mercenaries for one of these negative extraterrestrial groups that would use our planet as as a kind of like breeding ground for super soldiers that would then be sent off to fight in these interstellar wars on behalf of this negative uh, extraterrestrial organization. So the Andromeda Council informed the Galactic Federation that this was going on, and that they needed to come here and counteract what was what the negative groups were doing here. So that's what's happened. Wow. I'd
1: like to, to explore that a little bit further, if we could, in the next segment, um, if you can tell us more about... You know which negative ET civilization I guess co-opted us, and and uh, where our troops were being sent. I don't know if this has anything to do with uh, was it Captain Kramer who claims that he went to uh, you know, to fight on Mars? Um, but we'll we'll get into that. Dr. Michael Salas stays with us again. The brand new book Galactic Federations, Councils, and Secret Space Programs. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away.
0: You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. The truth will set you free, but first it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio.
1: Dr. Michael Sala is with us, exopolitics.org and exopoliticsinstitute.org. The latest book is Galactic Federation Councils and Secret Space Programs. The last segment you alluded to concern on the part of the um, Andromeda Council that, that uh, humans were being manipulated, tricked by some negative ET civilization uh, to send mercenaries to fight on their or alongside them or on their behalf in some other galactic uh, war. Can you give me more details on that?
2: Sure. Well, this is something I discussed in uh, book three of the Secret Space Program series, where I talked about Antarctica's hidden history, uh, corporate foundations of secret space programs. And I'll talk about a breakaway civilization in Antarctica that was formed from. a a number of uh, Germans that fled to, during the Second World War that left uh, the, uh, occupied Germany, that uh, actually Nazi Germany, they left and formed this breakaway civilization in Antarctica. And this was a result of Nazi Germany having reached agreements with a reptilian species called the Dracos or the Draco-reptilians, and, and this was actually known to the U.S. Navy at the time. William Tompkins was part of uh, an espionage program run out of Naval Air Station San Diego, where they learned about this. And so it was only after the Second World War uh, that they were able to confirm that this had actually happened. And so, as a result of that group of that breakaway group in Antarctica being helped by these uh, Draconian reptilians, they grew in power, and they eventually reached agreements with uh, the U.S. And so the U.S. began working with them. The U.S. supplied manpower, resources, and people, and the Germans in Antarctica provided scientific know-how on how to reverse engineer uh, extraterrestrial spacecraft because the Germans were way ahead of the U.S. in doing that. So that was the trade, and the result was that, Antarctica became a vast industrial hub for building spacecraft that was that would be used um, by this German Dark Fleet, as it was called, and that they would go off and fight alongside the reptilians in these interstellar wars of conquest, and they would attack worlds that were populated by humans because this is the way this is what the way in which the Draconian Alliance operated. They would use. Mercenary humans to attack uh, worlds populated by humans, uh, but they would do it in a way where there would first be kind of an infiltration, where the humans would show up and pretend to be good guys there to help them against some 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 imaginary or some contrived force. So it was very sophisticated the way they were doing it. So, and th- this is uh,
1: this uh, area in the Antarctic is this New Schwabenland we're talking about?
2: Correct, yes. New Schwabenland was was where uh, the earliest bases were built under the ice sheets. So, uh, I mean, initially, uh,
1: my understanding was that the United States was concerned about Nazi Germany and the presence of UFOs down in the Antarctic, and so they sent a, a force down there, a fighting force. Was that Operation High Jump? And they were defeated, the the Americans, uh, by this alien technology. But so, so, if I'm understanding you correctly, the they basically then decided to, after they were defeated, they decided, okay, well, let's partner with the Nazis and the Dracos. Is that what happened? Am I reading that correctly?
2: Uh, uh, yeah, there was a sequence there because um, they were defeated in uh, February of 1947. Uh, by the by, this German dark fleet out of Antarctica, and and so that's when the UFO uh, movements, uh, UFO sightings grew very rapidly in the United States. So Kenneth Arnold—that's a good example. I mean, he saw these—he saw a formation of nine uh, winged-shaped craft that was operating in the in Washington State. And th- that was an example of some of the craft that had come from Antarctica that were now being able to, that were now able to overfly uh, U.S. territory because Admiral Byrd he issued a warning when he travelled uh, back to the United States he was interviewed by a Spanish journalist. Uh, writing for one of the papers out of Chile called El Mercurio, and he he referred to a new enemy that could fly from pole to pole. So essentially what happened was that uh, the Germans, after defeating Operation High Jump, they defeated the best that the Navy could throw at them. So now they began overflying U.S. territory and they began engaging with uh, the U.S. Air Force. So they gave the Air Force a bloody nose as well. Um, And and there's actually, it's documented that uh, President Truman did give um, shoot-down orders to the Air Force to shoot down these UFOs. And you had a a tremendous number of Air Force craft crashing. Uh, As far as statistics were concerned, that there were a lot of Air Force craft crashing from the period from 1947 up until 1954. But it was in 1952, you then had the overflights of Washington DC, that this was a combination of German craft out of Antarctica and extraterrestrial craft as well, flying over Washington DC on three successive weekends in in July of 1952. And then in 1954 and 55, this is when there were face-to-face meetings and agreements were reached with the Eisenhower administration. Ah,
1: oh, uh, that's right. That's um, when he supposedly slipped away for an emergency dental appointment. But, in fact, Eisenhower was at Edward Air Force Base
2: or where was he meeting? Um, well, he, he went to Edward's Air Force Base, and that's when he met with representatives from the Galactic Federation of Worlds. And they told him to stop the thermonuclear weapons program uh, because that's when they did the uh, the uh, Bravo Castle test on March first, nineteen fifty-four, which was a a fifteen megaton nuclear uh, bomb that was that was detonated in the Bikini Atoll. Uh, so the Galactic Federation told Eisenhower, look, you you need to stop put an end to the thermonuclear weapons program, and we'll help you. We will help your kind of technological uh, evolution, but first you need to develop ethically and spiritually. So uh, Eisenhower's uh, national security advisors told Eisenhower, no, don't agree with these guys. We'll work with the other ones. And so they then... The Dracos, in other words. Uh, The Dracos, uh, there's another group called the Orions, uh, the Orion... Uh, collective or the Orion syndicate, if you like. Um, that's very similar to what's depicted in the Star Trek franchise as well. So there's a group from Orion and that they also, uh, came on the scene, uh, tall greys from the, from the Orion collective. Um, and so at Holloman Air Force Base in February of 1955, that's when Eisenhower went to meet with the representatives of this Dark Fleet Orion Draco Alliance, and agreements were made. And this is how then the US shortly after that began sending enormous uh, amounts of personnel and equipment down to Antarctica to help the German space program. And in return, the Germans were helping Uh, the U.S. Air Force and the Navy developed their secret space programs
1: All Uh, we'll uh, we're going to roll into hour two and uh, pick this up uh, on the other side, Dr. Michael Sala, exopolitics.org again, the new book Galactic Federations, Councils and Secret Space Programs Don't go away Live
0: from Toronto, Canada Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarratt on Zoomer Radio
1: for inviting me into your home your long-haul truck rv camper taxi your parents well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling electric fireplace and the painting of dogs playing poker your loft that greasy spoon just off the interstate and your cabin in the woods ryan white is the live stream producer and carlos kagina is our technical producer michael j sala Stay, or sorry, Dr. Michael Sala stays with us, a pioneer in the development of exopolitics, the author of 12 books that include Kennedy's Last Stand, Galactic Diplomacy, and uh, his latest is Galactic Federations, Councils and Secret Space Programs. This is book number seven in the uh, the Secret Space uh, series, and we are talking about the Galactic Federation. Um, we were talking earlier about that deal with the devil, I guess you could call it, that um that Eisenhower made in fifty five at Edward at uh, Haldeman Air Force Base, uh to go in with essentially the uh the Nazis and their base, their dark fleet in the Antarctic, New Schwabenland, and the uh the the Dracos and the I believe you called it the Orion Syndicate. Um so This is kind of, um, is this where also American foreign policy goes off the rails and we start to see uh, the CIA involved in coups all over the world, overthrowing a democratically elected leader in Iran, Um, you know, um, Guatemala, you name it, uh, Allende in Chile is taken out by the, um, you know, by the, uh, the U.S., um intelligence apparatus. Is that is there a, a relationship there between that deal that Eisenhower made with um in 55 at Haldeman and and American foreign policy thereafter?
2: Uh there definitely is a connection. Alan Dulles was the CIA director and he was the one running a lot of these covert programs and he was also the guy that uh made the deals, or he was the one that organized the negotiations between the US and the the and the Germans out of Antarctica. And and Dulles's history with the with the Nazi party goes back a long, long way. I mean he actually, he and his brother Alan Dulles, uh, sorry, um, John Foster Dulles. So Alan Dulles and John Foster Dulles in 1933 actually traveled to Nazi Germany and met with Adolf Hitler. And they supported German industrialists who wanted to back Hitler to come to power because they thought that Hitler would help uh, Germany industrialize. And so the Dulles brothers had a long association with the Third Reich. And during the Second World War, uh, Alan Dulles actually headed the negotiations uh, between uh, Nazi Germany and uh, the uh, Allied powers, especially towards the end when the the Germans were starting to negotiate their surrender. So it was Dulles that was involved in those negotiations. So Dulles was the natural go-between between uh, between the Eisenhower administration and the Germans in Antarctica, and he was also the head of this CIA. Now, once the deals were made uh, that that the U.S. would send enormous Resources to Antarctica, and also manpower uh, for for the Germans there to build up their dark fleet. There needed to be an enormous amount of funding for that. How how could you send billions and billions of dollars of funding to Antarctica without? Uh, Congress knowing about it, you certainly couldn't ask Congress for, you know, we we want we want you to give us fifty billion dollars uh, to to fund the Germans in Antarctica because that's that's the agreement we've reached with them. You could, you had to do it all off the books. So the way that the, the CIA did it was that they organised uh, international conflicts and coups and so forth to. Create covers so that they could raise enormous amounts of money. You know whether it was uh, plundering the resources of these states that were toppled, uh, uh, organizing uh, a massive drug trade. Uh, this is something the CIA has long used to to raise enormous amounts of money. Uh, you know dump, pump and dump economics uh, using uh, international co- uh, conflict as the means by which you could manipulate international markets however you wanted. So this, this is how the CIA did it, using these covert programs. And they they could raise hundreds of billions of dollars a year without the US Congress knowing about it. And the thing is, the US Congress gave the CIA the statutory power in 1949 under the, under the CIA Act. So the 1949 CIA Act. gave gave the CIA the statutory authority to move funding from any government institution without recourse to law. I mean, that's actually law. They, They can actually do that. They're the only government agency that can siphon money from anywhere through any federal government entity, and the CIA can then funnel it into the Pentagon And the Pentagon has the statutory authority to receive money without any explanation. And and this is actually the way in which the official black budget operates. There's an official black budget, which is actually, uh, and and that's estimated today to be about $80 billion. And people who research uh, black budgets that move through Congress, uh, they They typically look at the official black budget, which is the money which is intended to go towards uh, funding the intelligence community without anyone being able to keep track of exactly how much the CIA is getting, how much the NSA is getting, how much the NRO is getting, and so forth. But that's the official black budget, which is about $80 billion a year today. But the unofficial black budget is in excess of a trillion dollars a year, $1 Now currently the the Pentagon budget is about 800 billion. so this black budget, which was developed in the 1950s to fund all these covert programs, uh, has always exceeded the, the the budget of the Pentagon.
1: right. It reminds me of um, Donald Rumsfeld just before 911 talking about what was it the missing was did he say two trillion dollars?
2: 2.1 trillion dollars on September 10.
1: All right. So um all of this money, all of the this black ops money, all of these resources being funneled into this this base in the Antarctic. They're sending are they sending troops down there to go off planet to fight in wars and and do we have like receipts? Can we say wait a minute, we can we can show you where there are, you know, vast uh, amounts
2: of you know troops being sent to the Antarctic, or how do we know? Well, Antarctica was more the industrial manufacturing hub, and they also they also conducted a lot of experiments down there with captive humans. But as far as the troops were concerned, they were sent off planet. They called Lunar Operations Command, um, and that was an old Nazi base on the moon that was uh, given over to the U.S. Uh, in the 1970s. Uh, as a result of these agreements, the troops, the troops to be trained, to, you know, the super soldiers, they they would receive additional training. Uh, they would sign papers. Uh, they they would have medical procedures done on them to enhance their abilities. Uh, they would have their minds wiped at the end of their. Tour of duty, and they they would then be sent thousands and thousands of troops at a time. You know, they would even go to places like Mars, where they would serve alongside the Germans in uh, attacking the indigenous Martian civilizations that lived underground there. Um, and they would also go deep into space uh, to uh, serve in interstellar wars alongside the the Germans, who were the commanders. And the way it worked. Was that the, the Germans ran the dark fleet? So you know, we're talking the senior, um, senior positions like the admirals and so forth, captains. They would be uh, Germans, but the mercenaries or the the auxiliary forces that they got from uh, the U.S. or the French or the or the British that they would they would form the kind of middle. Core of the officer class so you'd, you'd have majors, lieutenant colonels uh, uh, commanders uh, operating at that level to kind of like take control of the troops uh, because you would have thousands of Americans or British or French serving in this dark Fleet and that that was that was the agreement and that they would serve alongside them. Uh, and and that that was that was how they would get their advanced technology so that's been going on for for many decades now and uh and all of this was uh, was hidden uh because the funding for that was all siphoned through uh different government agencies and uh in particular nasa uh nasa was the the first one because nasa was the natural to to hide all of these secret activities in space and so what would happen would be that uh you you would have like a a, a recruit at at uh, say the marine corps uh boot camp uh, a, a young marine uh, gets offered to take part In a a covert secret space program. And so this is a young guy and he's gung ho. And it's like, yeah, you know. So, in addition to serving in the Marines for four years or whatever, that they would get to go into space. So, that would start off. And so they would go and they would sign recruitment papers uh, with NASA. Now, why NASA? You have to ask yourself, why NASA? Well, NASA at the very beginning was run by the Germans, at least the Apollo program. Um, And that's actually fact, that's verifiable because uh, uh, the, the Kennedy Space Center was run by a former Nazi, um, Kurt Debus, who was a, a general uh, in the Nazi SS. And then the person running the Marshall Space Flight Center, which was in control of the overall Apollo program in terms of resources and how they were to be spent and allocated and, and so forth, was uh, Dr. Werner von Braun, right. another Nazi. All brought over through in-
1: Paperclip, right? Operation Paperclip.
2: Exactly. So that was the cover. Operation Paperclip provided the cover for thousands of Germans to come in and occupy senior positions in the aerospace industry uh, so that they could then funnel all of this money to the Germans in Antarctica, and in exchange, these German scientists uh, from Paperclip would then... Uh, receive all the scientific know-how from their compatriots in Antarctica and would then funnel that through to the uh, American uh, scientific institutions and corporations and so forth. So it was very uh, beneficial for the Germans in Antarctica.
1: How do they account for all of these missing soldiers that went off planet? Um, If they were killed, I mean, they just... They just disappeared. Didn't their families wonder what happened to them?
2: Well, you know, those that were killed, that didn't return, uh, they they could easily be ex- explained away as having done covert missions uh, for national security purposes, and and their. Families would receive a letter saying your son died uh, performing service to the United States military, and he's a hero, and so forth and so forth. Um, and, and that's very easy to do for people that sign up to covert programs because these people, uh, these recruits, when they're approached, uh, and this, and I've spoken to people who have gone through this process. I mean, you've, uh, I think you've, well, you know, of Randy Kramer. Yes. There are there are a number of others, Michael Gerloff, served with the US Marine Corps. There have been many others that went through a very similar process that they um join uh the Navy or the Marines or the Air Force. And at boot camp they get approached and they're asked, do you want to be part of a covert space program? And you know the high 95% say yeah, no, yeah, for sure. And so they sign papers. So they've signed papers that they are now going to be performing Uh, service for a covert program. So if they die during that program, then, yes, the U.S. military will send a letter saying that your son uh, performed covert missions for the military and um, unfortunately died.
1: And if they live and they come back, their memories are wiped. Um, How do do they not, are they not wandering around wondering,
2: what happened to me the last
1: three years or whatever? There should be thousands.
2: well, the, the technology was so good that they could wipe out the memories, so that essentially you know, they join the military. Uh, they get approached early on by an officer. You know, in, in boot camp, if you're a, a young recruit, and you get off, uh, approached by a, a, a captain or a major or something. They say, "I want to talk to you. We've noticed you," and so you get approached, and and they say, "Well, do you want to sign? I mean, do, do, do you do you want to be part of this covert program?" And they say, "Yes." Okay, so as soon as they say yes, then they're taken out of the room, taken off to uh, Lunar Operations Command, where they sign the papers and so forth, and they perform their their, their service. And if they survive to the very end, twenty years, then then that kind of age regressed, and then their their memories are wiped, and they're taken back in time to the precise moment when they joined. So essentially, then what happens is that they they are then back in the office of that officer and the officer has just finished saying uh you know do you want to join will you be part of this and they say yes and then you know they 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 get up or or whatever and then they then they're kind of like back in the room and their memory is is hazy they're confused they're disoriented and and uh And the the captain will say to them, okay, uh, we're we're done. You can go back to your squad and complete your training. So now they go back to their uh, boot camp and they complete their training. And, you know, because boot camp is so intense, it's it's the perfect cover because you can't, you know, mess around and think, oh man! Well, I have these strange memories, and you know, you're you're at boot camp. You know, you've got to follow, you've got to do whatever is required for you for that three weeks, six weeks, whatever it is. So it's the perfect cover to you know recruit people, take them off planet, they do a twenty and back, and then they come back, and then they go through boot camp, complete it, um, and yeah, you know, th- this is. You know there there are many people that have described a very similar process.
1: So meanwhile, all this money resource is going one way. What is the technology coming back and 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 to, into whose hands is it going?
2: Well, um the Air Force was the main beneficiary and the CIA and the National Reconnaissance Office. Uh, both separate both created, Separate space programs, and the, the Navy had, had, had its own space program. But as I mentioned earlier in the show, the Navy was always working with the Galactic Federation. The Navy never really worked with the uh, with the Dracos or with the with the Greys or the, the Orion Alliance. Uh, the Navy monitored what was going on with the with the CIA and the Air Force working with these groups. But the Navy was never part of those agreements. The Navy always worked with the Galactic Federation. So this was the way in which it was all set up. Um, But the Air Force and the CIA, the National Reconnaissance Office, they were the ones that benefited most from the secret agreements and the collaboration with the Draco Reptilians and the Orion Greys, because they developed their own secret space programs using anti-gravity technologies, nuclear propulsion systems, torsion field physics, and so forth to propel their craft. So this craft, like the TR-3B, that's that's uh, being kind of like the, um, the 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 main kind of uh, showpiece of the Air Force secret space program uh, for for many decades now, since the 1980s, that they had that. Whereas the Navy had. Uh, kilometre-sized space carriers because the Nordics or the Galactic Federation were more interested in helping the Navy get up to speed with the state-of-the-art um, interstellar spacecraft, whereas the Nor- whereas the the Draco Reptilians and the Orion Greys, you know, they weren't interested in the U.S. Air Force or the NRO or the CIA kind of like uh, having the best stuff. They were giving them second-hand or third-hand stuff. And so this was something that the Air Force guys uh, got, and they thought that they were the tip of the spear. But eventually, they discovered once once the, once they learned that the Navy had its own secret space program, yeah, they were furious because they thought they were the tip of the spear. That but, but they realized that they were, in essence, really just a kind of planetary co- coast guard, and that that really pissed them off. <laughs> well,
1: wait a minute, you've got so. It seems to me that that's a recipe for civil war within the United States. You've got the Navy that are in league with the Galactic Federation, uh, who, uh, I mean, f- just in terms of shorthand, I'll call them the good guys. And then you've got the Air Force and the CIA in league with Draco's, the Orion Syndicate, let's call those you know, the black hats or the bad guys, how, I mean, at some point they're going to be working at cross purposes, aren't they? Aren't the, you know, uh, the Galactic Federation um, not seeing eye to eye with the Orion Syndicate and the, uh, the Dracos? Uh, so, I mean, how did, how did that not create, a, I don't know, a perfect storm for like a civil war in the United States, or at least, you know, the Air Force attacking the Navy or what have you?
2: well it was different functionalities i mean the the navy's solar warden program operated in deep space and they were working with the galactic federation whereas the air force and the nro because they only ever got spacecraft that were capable of maybe flying to the moon uh maybe uh missions to mars uh but not but they weren't genuinely interstellar craft that could travel to the ends of our solar system i mean the the Air Force and the uh, CIA and the NRO—they were deliberately not given those technologies, but they were given technologies uh, so that they could kind of uh, monitor and control the the cislunar region, which is the region uh, ar- around the Earth where where the Moon orbits. So you know, anywhere around three hundred and fifty thousand kilometers outside of the Earth, that was pretty much under the control of the Air Force and the NRO and the CIA. They they monitored all um, and, and worked closely with the dark fleet that also had bases on the moon. Um, now, the Navy, they monitored all of that and they kind of piggybacked on some of that, uh, but they were able to keep a separate program and they were very careful not to do anything to kind of lead to outright conflict with the dark fleet because Uh, you know, that that would be detrimental to everyone because the Dark Fleet didn't want a civil war in the US because as far as they were concerned, uh, things were working fine for them. You know, the the United States was this industrial behemoth. Uh, It was was capable of building vast numbers of spacecraft uh, using modern industrial production methods, and you didn't want to disrupt that by any kind of civil war. And the Navy, of course, didn't want to, Uh, create a civil war either because they knew that um, the Air Force was working and the CIA and NRO was working with the Draco Reptilian because they wanted to kind of see what was going on. Uh, Because very early on, uh, the Navy was put in charge of the the whole extraterrestrial phenomenon, Uh, not the the Air Force, because the Air Force was the junior service. It only came into existence in 1947, Uh, but the Navy because it had expertise on running integrated uh, uh, um, aircraft carrier groups it knew how to develop it knew how to develop space carrier groups
1: I, so I, the main is- pardon the interruption dr Sal. i've got to take another time out we'll come back and uh, discuss further don't go away
0: Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Thank you. Seeing what falls, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio.
1: Back with Dr. Michael Sala. When did the United States go all in with the Federation?
2: Well, the, the Navy has always been working with the Federation, um, and that has just grown over the decades. And I think a certain point was reached when it was decided that uh, uh the, the, the Federation could, could like step up and, and take direct action against the Draco reptilians and the Orion collective. And and that really happened um probably in the last five years or so. That seems to have been when you know there was this kind of a transition that uh for for various reasons, uh we had reached this point where we could throw off this Dark Alliance or this Dark Fleet—that it wasn't wasn't necessary any, anymore. That whatever whatever was being gained through that association, I, I think I think what the Navy was waiting for was was that we would reach a certain we would reach a certain point of technological uh, development as a as a planet where where now uh, we didn't need the Dark Alliance anymore, and that they could be kind of like uh, thrown off. And I think that's that's really what happened and that was something that uh people within the kind of uh, military covert military agreed to that yeah it was time to kind of throw off that that yoke and uh begin working much more with the galactic federation to kind of move to this new stage where now there would be like a full disclosure of what what is going on and uh, and that that meant that the the planet needed to be unified and so, you know, those groups that were bringing about this unity, creating havoc on the planet, they needed to be booted off. So that's, that's when the uh, Galactic Federation began, like, uh, taking a much more energetic approach to expelling the Draco, reptilians and the others by destroying their underground bases and so forth.
1: Um, just quickly, the alien abduction phenomenon, was that... Part of the arrangement that the um, uh, Air Force and other branches had with the Orions and the Dracos, in, in, in exchange they gave them permission, I guess, to collect genetic material or whatever they were doing in exchange for technology, was that part of that agreement?
2: That was part of the agreement with the Orions, uh, cause uh, there's a group called the Orion Grays, and they 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 made their own separate agreements. So you had the the Germans in Antarctica working with the Draco reptilians making agreements with uh, the Eisenhower administration. You, you also had these uh, Orion Greys making agreements with the Eisenhower administration, and they they were different uh, because the Orion Greys were much more into abduction and genetic experiments. so they wanted to abduct humans for conducting uh these genetic experiments because that was something that they valued for uh, for a variety of reasons whereas the uh the draco and the germans they were more interested in mercenaries they were more interested in super soldiers so they re- re- really weren't into the whole abduction phenomenon so you got different alien groups there
1: so did then it would stand to reason then the with the um federation basically coming in and kicking out the orions and the dracos does that mean that as of five years ago the at least the 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 negative type of alien abduction if there's you know if there's a negative and a positive but the negative type of alien abduction ended basically five
2: years ago uh, i believe that it has uh pretty much um uh ended i mean there's there's still some some groups that might be practicing these abductions, but as far as I'm aware that those abduction experiences have have pretty much concluded uh, because the Orion greys that were behind it have been forced to to leave our solar system for the time being. Uh, Now they might come back at some future stage, um, but the the legacy is that there's a lot of um, genetic hybrids now, on Earth that are in some way sympathetic or connected with the Orion Grays. So th- so there's kind of like a fifth column now on Earth of, of beings that r- identify in critical ways with these off-world groups. Uh, David Jacobs, I think, has done a really good job in describing the abduction phenomenon and how it has now moved to this new phase where you have uh, these genetic hybrids that uh, that have reached the point now where large numbers of them can be on Earth, can infiltrate, and can actually uh, influence our progress as a civilization or our public policy uh, in important ways. So, so yes, so so it seems that you know these negative groups, even though they've been forced to leave the planet, they still have in place a lot of kind of fifth columnists, a lot of assets that still continue to work with them. So, you know, I think this is the way they work, because as I understand it, uh, these groups, the Draco and the Orion Greys, they're masters at infiltration and subversion. So while their military have left, you know, their kind of espionage or their political operatives are here.
1: Any idea how many uh, in this fifth column hybrids there are?
2: Uh well you know that I would have to defer to David Jacobs but I think he he's made some estimates of you know there there's million there's been millions of abductions in the United States alone um now as a consequence of that uh there, there have been these um hybrids created now I you know I'm I would be guessing as to how many are here but I know that the galactic federation has several thousand on planet earth so I wouldn't be surprised if if you had kind of like um yeah maybe not as many as that but certainly a significant number maybe in the hundreds or a few thousand of these hybrids of these grey extraterrestrial hybrids
1: and then, are they in communication telepathic or otherwise with uh the orions and are they i don't know are they conspiring to to uh, to bring the the uh, the orions and the Dracos back
2: totally yeah that's exactly what's happening uh, the Orions and, and the Draco have left the planet or left our solar system, but their assets, their genetic hybrids are here. And uh, in many cases, uh, these hybrids, while they might have a, a human-looking body because their their genetics have been altered to incorporate the human genome, there's enough in there in terms of gray or reptilian genetics where a, a gray or an Orion gray or a Draco can incarnate in that body, and so they are the ideal operatives because now they're in a human body um, and and they can pass unnoticed in human society, but you actually have a Draco or, or a Gray or Iron Gray in a human body and that they identify them I and they still communicate with or connect telepathically with their cousins um, in wherever they're hiding now and whether it's somewhere in our solar system or outside our solar system now that the
1: the galactic federation is basically the dominant off-planet force and the uh, the dracos and the orions are in uh, off-planet and in exile why do we still have i don't know the some people some people call them the illuminati or whatever whatever sinister force is out there that is trying to institute some kind of dystopian Future for mankind, if you want to call it the Great Reset, the Davos crowd, and so forth, are they in allegiance with the Dracos and the Greys, or who are they?
2: Well, they're the former minions of the Dracos and the Greys, and because they are known to have worked with these groups for a long time and did many terrible things to subvert human society. I mean, the you know the crimes that they've committed are kind of like unspeakable, a, a huge litany of things, um, you know that many people can recite much better than I, but certainly these are the, the minions of of these groups. And once these groups decided to leave Earth, um, the, the minions were left. They weren't taken. So they had everything to lose if all of this was exposed, if there was disclosure. And the truth came out about while well, you know, agreements had been reached uh, to allow abductions of hundreds of thousands or even millions of people from all over the world that you know that there were these horrible experimentation uh, projects happening all over the world, where people were subjected to horrific abuses, you know, treated like lab rats and so forth. So the, these minions, uh, they they didn't want to give up power because they knew that they would basically be exposed and you know, they would face a terrible um, consequence. So they're fighting as hard as they can to maintain as much power but the, the the big problem that they have is that their extraterrestrial allies that provided them the superior technology the looking glass technology the projections and the power to to kind of like outwit the uh, the, the Earth or the positive guys, the Earth Alliance, if you call them that, or the White Hats, uh, you know, they're gone. They're, they've left the planet. And now it's the planet's surrounded by these more positive extraterrestrial groups. So the Minions are fighting. They're, they're, this is their last stand, which is why things have become so dire because, and it's so obvious because anyone looking at the policies of what has happened over the last two years is that, well, you know, you look at 2019, how many people believe uh, that there was a world elite trying to subjugate the population for uh, nefarious purposes? You know, probably you, you would have had the tinfoil hat category of maybe, maybe 1% of the population. Well, now maybe there's like 30%. You know, a majority of Republicans believe that, uh, yeah, that there's a sinister deep state that you know, stole the 2020 election that has done all these things in terms of the COVID and the vaccines and all of that, and that they are steering humanity down this very dark path. So yeah, that's now mainstream. And and that, that's only happened because these minions are desperate. They, they have no way of stopping this awakening that is happening now.
1: All right, another time out awaits uh, back with more of uh, Dr. Michael Sala. Don't go away.
0: When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from
1: Zoomer Radio. Galactic Federations, councils and secret space programs. That's the brand new one from Dr. Michael Sala, exopolitics.org. Again, how do we get a copy?
2: Uh, You can go to amazon.com or visit my website, exopolitics.org.
1: When you listen to the Davos crowd... And their version of the future, you know, this whole you'll own nothing and you'll be happy Uh, and there'll be smart cities and stacked housing and everyone will be riding around on mono rails, no private cars. We're going to transition away from dirty fossil fuels or hydrocarbons into renewable energy. I mean, their version that they're offering up almost sounds like Star Trek. I mean are they deceiving us or
2: yes it is a de- it is deception because really what they're doing is they're bringing about a transhumanist uh agenda where they want to turn us into cyborgs where they can control every aspect of our lives you know you can you can imagine i mean look look at what's happening now on social media or you know platforms like youtube twitter facebook where anyone that dissents from the mainstream narrative uh, gets booted off. Uh, they get censored, or they get deplatformed, or you know they they can't make money through PayPal or Stripe uh, deplatforms themselves. So you know that's what's happening now. This is only this is only a taste of what would happen. Imagine if you if you had a, like a truly transhumanist agenda where people have implants that. are put into them, and that's the only way that you can, you know, use the subway, or you can get on a plane, or you can kind of like um, access your paycheck or whatever that, you know, you have to wear this this chip, and then, you know, then you're totally controlled. The, the people that control the um, technology, they control you. They, they could at any point uh, deactivate that chip and make it impossible for you to buy food or travel, or they can de-platform you from, from anywhere where you're kind of spreading your information. So, you know, that's where the New World Order crowd wants to take us. It's very far away from the kind of utopian Star Trek future that Gene Roddenberry was putting out through the Star Trek, which, which really was um, acknowledging uh, human freedom and, and civil liberties and promoting a peaceful interaction between people. Not because you were superimposing an all kind of Orwellian superstate through advanced technology that would monitor every thought, every action that we do, but it would be because people would be lifted out of poverty where their their basic human needs were satisfied, and now it's only higher order needs like self actualization and self realization that become important for people.
1: Do the um, does the Davos crowd have the looking glass technology?
2: definitely yeah they they've had that uh, they've had that for a long time i mean they were the, they were probably some of the f- first ones to get their hands on that technology uh but the problem that they have is that you know that technology can only look ahead in terms of probabilities and and if if they're looking ahead and they're, you know they they're trying to nurture a future reality that okay that they get to uh bring about this kind of like Orwellian super state where people are controlled by chips and the transhumanist agenda um, is, is the dominant way in which uh, humanity lives all across the planet, you know, that maybe that had a possibility of uh, 30% of coming into fruition. Uh, but now, because of everything they've done, now it's got like uh, 15%. And and this is this is the problem they have, that everything they try now, you know, whether it's coming up with a new contrived, a new false flag operation, you know, rather than enhancing uh, the possibility of their desired future outcome, um, it it diminishes that. Whereas the possibility of a future of Star Trek future, because of all of these uh failed policies, you know, like they've you know, like coming across with this. You know, like the, with the, the pandemic and the the, the pandemic, you know that's awakened so many people, doctors, the medical community, who, you know, before this happened, you know, none of them would have been interested in this whole kind of Star Trek future and secret space programs and so forth. Now they're kind of like much more open to this stuff because that's you know their their logic takes them to this place. Well, why is this being done? So now that future possibility has gone from maybe say forty percent to now seventy percent, and everything that the deep state does, you know, they look at their looking glass technology and say, "Well, let's try this. Let's let's do." Well, to what affect the timeline, future? to alter
1: the timeline. Yeah,
2: everything that they try to alter the timeline backfires. So you know, this is this is their dilemma. So even though they have looking glass technology, it only looks at future possibilities, and 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 you can try and do something to bring that about. But if your future possibility only has a likelihood of like 30% or 20% of coming about and you do something to maybe strengthen that, you you'd end up doing the opposite.
1: All right. One final timeout. We'll be back to finish up with Dr. Michael Sala. Stay with us.
0: The truth will set you free, but first it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio.
1: A few minutes remain with Dr. Michael Sala, exopolitics.org, the website, Galactic Federations, councils and secret space programs. Once again, Dr.
2: Sala, how do we get a copy? Uh, You can just go to exopolitics.org, that's my main website, or just go to amazon.com and uh, type in my name and you should get uh, the whole secret space program book series. So let's take a look at where
1: this is all, all heading the galactic federation. They've chased off the, the Dracos and the, uh, the uh, Orion syndicate. Um, they're foot soldiers, I guess we'll call them the elites of the Davos crowd. They have uh, the look looking glass technology, but they're um, they're losing. They're getting increasingly desperate uh, their their vision of a sort of dystopian uh, future, not likely to ha- to happen, as more and more people a- awaken. So, where is this headed? Does this is there a timeline for the Galactic Federation to make themselves known? Uh, you know, what are the signposts along the way?
2: Well, that's a fascinating question. Uh, th- there are a few people that are uh, in contact with the Galactic Federation that are, that are some of the sources that I've been interviewing. And you know, they've given me estimates that we're, we're talking 2023 is, is going to be a, a, a really critical year for all of this breaking, that this information is not going to be uh, withheld for that much longer, that we're not really looking at too much time, I think, for some of this to start coming out. Now, they might begin with some announcement like the James Webb Space Telescope has detected techno signatures and you know in some distant solar system and and that uh, extraterrestrial life has been found in a distant solar system which would really be a, a kind of like an ideal way of breaking it to people in a way that would not be too disruptive and so then you've opened the door then it's just a series of um, more uh, announcements that oh okay well um, you know, contact is being made with some of these groups. We're communicating with them um, you know, in some other solar system. And then they can say that, you know, that actually they've arrived, that they're here. I, I think what we won't see for some time is that any admission uh, by government or by military saying, well, the extraterrestrials have been here for 70 years and we've been covering it up from you, uh, that they're not going to admit that because that would destabilise things. What they're going to do is try and... Try and frame it all as something brand new that Space Force or US Space Command has encountered as a consequence of new technology that has just been brought online where Space Command has these new anti-gravity craft that allows them to go far into our solar system, has found on the moons of Jupiter the remnants of an extraterrestrial civilization. And and so I think that's what we can expect. That will be kind of like leading up because I think the important thing about And the way I would contrast the the white hats, the Earth Alliance, with the uh, with the deep state crowd is that while the white hats and the Earth Alliance want the transition to a Star Trek future being a smooth and harmonious one,s the the dark the deep state, the dark hats, they wanted it to be a, a very disruptive one and, and full of surprises and twists and turns that would shock and confuse people. But that's not the way in which I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen in a way that's well thought out and planned to gradually get people up to speed where you begin with some announcement that extraterrestrial life is real. And then you kind of, and then you start releasing some advanced technology because that's going to give people a lot of confidence that, well, you know, we've got Space Command, uh, Space Force that has this really cool anti-gravity torsion field propulsion systems that enable them to travel throughout our solar system really quickly. That'll give people confidence because that's one of the key things that the military wants, that, you know, they they don't want to disclose the existence of extraterrestrial life and lead to a collapse in public confidence in the ability of the Pentagon to protect American citizens from extraterrestrial life. That they want people to believe that the Pentagon has within its resources the means to protect Americans from anything. So so they're going to roll out the advanced technology, they're going to declare extraterrestrial life exists out there somewhere, and in the process they're going to build up public confidence that, wow, you know, we've got these really cool space technologies that Space Force is deploying and that Space Command is using, and 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 then I think you're, you're going to have an acceleration of announcements that that uh, extraterrestrial life is very real, and they're, they're going to say that yeah, we've made contact. Contact has recently been made with this galactic federation. In
1: terms of rolling out the technology, I mean, if if we're dealing with spiritually evolved entities here. Um, it's hard to imagine, though, know, that they could sit back and watch people, you know, suffer from cancer and all sorts of different diseases and, um, you know, famine and starvation. Uh, what I mean, what is the timeline for, for why aren't they rolling out this technology uh, like now, yesterday? And, and what types of technology are you hearing about?
2: Well, there are advanced technologies, healing technologies that are being developed Uh, that these are being prepared for mass distribution um, once there are some major disclosures uh, that that happen. I I think that the only roadblock at the moment is this kind of Davos crowd agenda, that these minions are, are doing everything they can to disrupt things. Now, one of their big sources of revenue is the pharmaceutical industry. And the pharmaceutical industry has prevented a lot of these advanced technologies from coming into the public arena. I mean, you only have to look at the US Patent and Trademark Office and and know that uh, almost 6,000 patents have been withheld under national security orders by the different intelligence um, uh, organizations in the United States. So that's 6,000 inventions that The majority of those deal with things like and healing that have been suppressed because some corporation or some uh, intelligence group says that this is uh, something that would threaten national security if we release this into the public arena. So this is what's been going on for going back to the time of Nikola Tesla in the early 1900s. So these advanced healing technologies have been suppressed because of the power of the pharmaceutical industry to shut down people and to uh, twist the curricula and the research priorities of universities. I mean, every university um, in the in the major country, I mean, pharmaceutical industries have penetrated them where professors are given grants to do studies on, you know, this particular cocktail, healing people and that and anyone wanting to do well, you know, what are the benefits of herbs, or kind of like uh, juicing, or um, uh, kind of electromagnetic healing technologies, those things are blocked uh, from any kind of research grants. If you try and write a paper, uh, for a peer-reviewed journal, the editors will block you from doing that because you know you get funding from the pharmaceutical industry. So, some someone will lean on you and say, "No, you can't publish that paper. It's unscientific." And so that's so that's why these advanced healing technologies have been withheld for so long. So the the whole pharmaceutical medical. Uh, complex is is corrupt to its core I and mean, it has to be changed tremendously and and doctors curriculum needs to be changed incredibly quickly as well because you know they've they 've just been trained to be the bad man or the middleman for the pharmaceutical industry
1: so it 's uh Star trek here we come and um I'm not sure, we don't know exactly the, uh, you know, when that will, will arrive, but uh, it's going to begin in earnest in terms of gradual disclosure in 2023. Uh, Dr. Michael Sala, thank you so much for hanging out for the last two hours.
2: It's been a pleasure, Richard. Thanks for having me.
1: Exopolitics.org and Galactic Federation councils and secret space programs. All right, back next week with the great grandchildren of Jesse James, and we'll talk about uh, hidden gold and other treasures with Daniel and uh, Tessa Duke. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light? What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.